0: Hey, this morning we're on week three uh, of our four—well, actually, we're on the third part of our four-part vision. We're on week four of five in our series called It's Go Time. And our mission so far, we've learned our mission is to love God, love others, and make disciples. And what we've uh, covered—in fact, let's just go right to the next slide—our vision over the next five years, we believe God is positioning our church to do the following— Number one, we talked about this two weeks ago, engage the emerging generation by creating captivating and welcoming ministry environments and opportunities for kids and the adults in their lives so that 250 new families could come to salvation in Jesus Christ and continue their spiritual journey at Community Heights. Last week, we talked about mobilizing our church to Love Newton by serving 25,000 hours Meeting practical needs of people in our community, and today what we're talking about is that we want. And again, this came from a, a group of about fifteen people, and then uh, talked to maybe a half a dozen more. Um, we want to become a healing place. It seems as though, as we were going through this, this would have been this would have been in May, you know, we, May of last year, actually. We talked about how there are people in our community who are hurting. There are people in our church who are hurting. And we want our church to be a place of healing, a place of refuge, a place of, um, of encouragement and of hope and of building up. So to become a healing place by helping families uh, and individuals achieve freedom from their hurts and addictions while providing spirit while providing families coaching and essential resources for spiritual health let me read that again become a healing place by helping people achieve freedom from their hurts and addictions while providing families coaching and essential resources for spiritual health so we're looking there at those outside the church And we're looking at those of us who are inside the church. And becoming a healing place is pretty important for a church. Like most churches, for us, what's most important in order to to be a healing place is that we're healthy, is that we're healed. So this is one of those that, let's see, the first one, the second one, this third one, more than the first two, We've already been for, well, the first one we've been as well. A lot of people over the decades have come to faith in Christ through the ministry of Community Heights, through many of you. And this one has also been true, that we have been a place where people have come and found acceptance and found healing for hurts and addictions. The conversation among pastors is always... um, We know there's still hurts and addictions inside the church, but somehow we think that they're just really outside the church, that the people inside the church are healthy, and that everybody's doing okay, and that everybody's just fine. When in reality, the people that come through that door and come in and sit down, people like us, we we have hurts, we have wounds, we have injuries, emotional, psychological, sometimes physical, we have hurts. We have addictions. We all do, just in different areas. And we tend to think that drug and alcohol addiction may be, you know, the worst kind. There's, there's depression. There's, there's anxiety. There's hopelessness. There's joblessness sometimes. There's a, a life bereft of relationships. Just not enough significant human connection points to help make life livable. So there are people all over the place, and we want our church to be a healing place. But we have to be healed. So my challenge for you this morning is where do you need healing? Where do you need it? In your own heart? In your family? In relationships that you have? In your family or your neighborhood or here at church? Is it something that's emotional, psychological, physical, financial? relational where do you need healing and do you believe now let's just take let's take all the pretense away for a minute we can't do anything on our own do you believe that Jesus actually will heal your wound your hurt will he balance out your imbalance will he order your disorder Will he bring ease to your dis-ease? Will he, will he heal you? And does he want to bring health where there's sickness and, and wholeness where there's brokenness? I mean, that's something, that's something we have to know. We have to believe. That the very first source for healing is not The hospital, the doctor, a pill, a counselor. The very first source for healing is Jesus. Now, he's not the only source in the sense that doctors, hospitals, counselors, pills, whatever, shouldn't be used. They should be. We should avail ourselves of those things. But the first source of healing is Jesus. Jesus. Because if we're not healed by Jesus, we could get healed in a lot of ways that other sources can bring us. We can get healed in a lot of ways, but the true healing that we need that comes from Christ, if that's not there in our life, all the other healing is, I mean, it'll be okay for this life only, but, you know, where are we going? So the first, the first healer is Jesus. He's the first one that we look to. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 11. It's going to be on the screens. There's there's just a few verses here. You're going to be familiar with these, maybe not so familiar with the first verse. Matthew chapter 11 has 10 chapters before it and, I don't know, 16 or 17 after it. It's a big context. We're just kind of dropping into the middle of this. And we're seeing Jesus speaking uh, and he says in verse 27... All things have been committed to, to me by my Father. Which reminds me of Matthew 28, when it, where it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Reminds me of John chapter 13, where it says, When Jesus understood that the Father had put all things under his control, he picked up the towel and he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. So here Jesus is making a similar statement. He's, he's really giving himself, placing himself on a certain level, where he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Those are very exclusive statements. He's talking about the wonder of the Trinity, the wonder of this relationship that God has in and among himself that he invites us into. He invites us into that perfect divine relationship. And he says here that no one knows the Son except the Father. Well, that's interesting. He's already got his disciples. Is he saying that none of his disciples know him as the Son? No, he's just talking about this significant, special, divine relationship that the Father has with the Son. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And then there's another phrase except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So the Son chooses to reveal the Father to people. We come to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So this verse, I think, this verse just sets up what he says after this so well. Really, the whole, the whole book sets it up, but for time's sake, this verse really sets it up well. I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose, Jesus says, to reveal the Father to you. And in that revelation, there's going to be healing. The cross, the work of the cross, think about this for a minute, was a revelation of who the Father was. Not just the Son. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the cross is a revelation of the heart of God. So he goes on in verse 28. So he says then, come to me. Hey, I'm able to reveal the Father to you. And then he says, come to me. That's an invitation. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Over and over in the Old Testament, rest is talked about. This divine rest, this future rest this rest that would be found by the people of God, Jesus had come to give them that rest. The other day, I was flipping through Instagram, and uh, my wife always asks me if I've seen this on Instagram or that on Facebook, and I'm always saying, to, "Hun, I just I haven't been on social media for a while, right?" I'm, I'm really what I'm saying is I'm kind of busy, and I, I haven't gotten distracted by social media yet. But I got on it the other day, and my daughter had written this. And my daughter is somebody who has come to Jesus and found rest and who I'm learning from her. She wrote this, uh, and this just was out, I don't know, two, three days ago. She said, we walked a road we never could have imagined in 2018. The stuff of lifetime movies. I thought, isn't that a little dramatic, Alyssa? Really? Lifetime movies? And I started thinking about this past year for them. Yeah, lifetime movies. And it, it involved like, for about a month and a half, ongoing communication with the FBI at one point. it's like really crazy stuff they were involved in this past year. She says, my heart is still pretty numb and bruised. I don't know the why of it all. By the way, they weren't the subject of the investigation. Just make that clear. (laughs) I was, no. Um, I don't know the why of all of it, except that we live in a broken world and there will be pain until heaven. But I do know one thing with certainty. Each agonizing twist and turn prepared our hearts for one big yes. 2019 was the year I claimed the word hope. I wasn't sure what it meant for me, but I knew that I needed to hang on to it. Nine days into 2019, we found out about a baby in Texas. Three days later, we walked into our Texas Airbnb and saw that the owner had named the house Casa de Esperanza, House of Hope. Just a little while later, I walked into a dark NICU room and saw my son lying in a tiny crib. You guys, my son, he is the why behind our journey. He is the reason why we clung to hope, and now hope has a whole new meaning. We love you, sweet boy. You know, as I thought about her past year, um, there's, there, there were times, and we talked a lot during the year, there were times when um, you know, you just need to prop one another up. You need to prop somebody else up. And I would prop her up. But I knew, and we talked about this. In fact, we talked about this, this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It may not be physical rest. It may not even be psychological rest, but it's this deep, personal, spiritual, like, anchoring where you know, even though life is crazy right now, God still is, I don't even know if he's in control right now or what, what amount of control he's deciding to wield, but I know that God is, therefore, it'll be okay. Therefore, I can get through it. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not exactly the, the warrior military uh, ruler that they were looking for in the Messiah, who would come and, 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 and suppress Rome so that they could rise again. But he says, yoke up with me. Attach yourself to me. You know that the animals, when they would yoke them, they, they, they would there were always certain animals. Oh, for use him, we got to yoke him with this other one. Because this other one will, will show him the ropes. And this one over here is going to learn from this one. And so often they would they would have one that wasn't quite as good as the other. So that one would come along and learn. And Jesus says, yoke up with me and learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm humble, and you'll find rest for your souls. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At a time when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law we're putting, as Jesus said in Matthew 23, huge, tying up huge bundles of burdens and putting them on people's backs and not lifting a little finger to help them carry it and becoming twice as much a son of hell as the poor people under the great burdens. Jesus comes along and says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. As we embark into the future and we want to become more deeply, more strongly, more broadly a healing place, the first place we have to look is Jesus. If you haven't looked to Jesus for healing, I don't care if you've known Jesus for 50 years, five minutes, if you don't know Jesus yet, you come to Jesus for healing. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's healing power in the work of Christ. What we celebrate in just a little while uh, with communion, we are celebrating the healing power of the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, I'm going to invite Pastor John to come up because it says here, come to me, but then he says, and learn from me. So John, would you speak to us about that a little bit? And uh, he's going to talk to us about learning from Jesus.
1: little tag team going on this morning. So let's just just hang there for a moment before we go on. Jesus says to us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That what we need is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. His presence alone brings real healing to you and me. Yes, we have to be about uh, mission and vision. We have to be about, you know, strategy and events and programming, absolutely. But the source of real life, of transforming life, flows from Jesus himself. To become a healing place, we must draw near to Jesus. It can sound trite, right? Jesus is the answer, but... Here's the news, he really is. In all its fullness for everything that we face in life, we need to draw near to Jesus. Jesus says to us, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. But he doesn't end there. He goes on in this Matthew passage to to further, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's not just the presence of Jesus alone, but also to become a healing place, we must learn from Jesus. Now in our mission statement, we have said a couple of things. One is that we want to love. We want to be a people who demonstrate and reflect love, love for God. And love for our neighbor. But it doesn't end there, but also goes on to say that we must also make disciples. That's one of the things that Jesus said to us as his followers, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Now, we don't do that alone, right? It's not in our name and our power, but it's in the name and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus invites us into the process of what he's doing that we are to be disciples who make disciples. So just what is a disciple? Well, a simple word that you could use for disciple, another word that helps us today is a disciple is an apprentice, someone who seeks to become like the master craftsman. Now, I have a brother, an older brother, uh, brother number two, who is a plumber. And when he met his wife and they got married, his father-in-law was a master plumber. He had his own plumbing business, and uh, my, his, my, mine, but his father-in-law didn't just gain a son, but he also gained an employee because my brother began to work with him. And he started out just as an apprentice, right? Didn't know a whole lot about plumbing, didn't know a whole lot about, you know, fixing that kind of thing, but as he followed his father along first, just as a gopher, right, Go get that out of the truck or go bring this and watch me. Uh, let's think about this situation together. And slowly over time, over a period of couple of years, he learned how to do the things that his father-in-law did. And he finally became a journeyman plumber and then finally became a master plumber himself when his father, re- father-in-law retired from that business. So a disciple is an apprentice, Someone who learns how to become like and to do the kinds of things that the Master did. So who is our Master? It's Jesus. He is the Master and He is Lord. And He says to us as His apprentices, as His followers, for those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus, things like love your enemies and bless those who curse you And uh, he invites us to walk as he walked in this life. And so as a disciple, it's important to be with Jesus, absolutely. And that's a place of healing. But also a place of healing, as Jesus said in this passage, is take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He doesn't take our yoke, we take his yoke. And he begins to work in our life and to bring real life to us. The implication of that is that we have something that we lack and that he has something that we need. And so as we spend time with him and as we learn from him, he begins to work into us his very life, his wholeness, his health. And that implies for all of us body and mind and soul and relationships, God wants to bring wholeness and health to us. There is something that we lack and something that He wants to share with us. Well, here's the question. Do you believe this? Are you convinced of this? And if so, right, if you are a follower of Jesus who is learning from Him, what is Jesus teaching you? What is Jesus helping you grow in? Is he helping you in fact learn how to love? Learn how to forgive? Are you growing in lessons of in humility or lessons of hope or lessons of perseverance? Is the Lord helping you more and more and more and more? It's a progressive thing to be sure. But growing, as scripture says elsewhere, in Christ likeness If not, makes me wonder, what's going on? Are we being with Jesus and are we joining him in his yoke and learning from him? And this learning component is really important because healing, fullness of healing, is connected to truth. See, it's not just information that we need, not just knowing about truth, but really believing it. And seen it become a part of our life. You may remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, Paul says. For it's with the heart that we believe and it's with the mouth that we confess. Sometimes I think some of us believe or confess with our mouth, rather, but we don't really believe in our hearts that what Jesus says is really true, what God says is really true. For you see, to believe something, to really believe something, is to act as if it is true. It is to live in that truth, whatever that truth may be. So this summer, my wife and I took a couple of weeks and uh, we headed out west, we got in the car And uh, drove to Utah and experienced a number of the national parks there. I think in in two weeks we went to about ten different parks. We went to Bryce and uh, Zion and Capitol Reef and Arches. We even snuck down to the Grand Canyon and hiked down into the canyon and and back up. And uh, we had a beautiful time together. We hiked as much as 12, 13 miles in a day. Might not believe it, but we really did. And some of the hikes went elevation changes of 1,000, 1,600 feet. It was a great, great time. It really was. But some of the trails that we were on were, uh, well, when you're when you, at the beginning of a trailhead, and it says on the trailhead, if you have a fear of heights, don't go down this path, that gives you an idea of some of the places that we went. And uh, we were, for instance, going down one trail, and it came to this fin. You know that we had to cross, and one side it went down quite a long ways. In fact, far enough that if you fell off, you'd be it. I mean, you'd that'd be dead. Like five, six hundred, seven hundred feet. Some of them were even farther. And we got to this one fin that on one side it fell that side, but on the other side it had the same distance down. And uh, it wasn't like you know it was a two foot. I mean, it was pretty wide that you could walk walk across. And uh, we, there were people in front of us, and they went across this you know, ridge, across this fin, and they were going fine. And so we looked at one another and said, well, can we do this? Sure, let's go. Of course, uh, I went first and started to go. I, by the way, I did talk to my wife, and she said it was okay to share this story. So I, I started to walk, you know, and this, this side and this side, walking along this uh, part of this fin. And I turned back. Now, Mary is behind me, but uh, not on two feet. She's almost, you know, like on all fours crossing this fin. Now, she was a trooper. She did a, uh, we had a great time this summer. But you get my point, right? We, before we got on this, this part of the trail, we both said, we confess with our mouth that we can do this. But got out in the middle and the heart started going, you know, beating pretty hard and did we really believe that this was the kind of a trail that we could go on? Well, we did. We passed and, uh, and we had a great time. But There is a difference between merely confessing with the mouth and believing in the heart. Because, you see, to believe something means you live and act as if it is so, that it's true. And when we move into the spiritual realm, that we not just confess the truths of God's Word, but that in fact we believe with our hearts that this is true of how we should live life. David said in Psalm 16, these words, "...I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand I will not be shaken." David had more than just information about the living God, that he believed and in fact kept the Lord and his truth present before his eyes both day and night. And as an aid to healing, I think as followers of Jesus at times we we need to, to think about how we think. Our lives are so busy, unfortunately, today that we rarely have time to pause and to even reflect on how we're thinking about God and ourselves and the world in which we live. We need to think about how we are thinking. And that's what the psalmist did. That's what David did. That as he lied in his bed at nighttime, that he was reflecting on God and who who he was and bringing the living God before his attention before his presence, and to take time to be with God, to know who he is and what he's like, to yoke ourselves to him and then begin to learn from him. Because truth is connected to healing, and healing is connected to truth. Now, why is truth so important? Well, one reason it is, because Satan, our adversary, is a liar. And untruth is one of the playgrounds of the evil one who came to kill and steal and destroy. And Jesus speaks very clearly about deception and about the source of lies. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And as he's sharing with them, he hits them pretty hard. Because they were living that which was not true, according to the living God. He says to them in John 8, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Untruth is the realm in which the evil one plays. And he longs for you and me to grab a hold of that which is not true. In fact, Peter writes these words in his first letter. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, he says, and be strong in your faith. Well, how do we stand strong? How do we resist the evil one? Well, one of the ways that we do it is by standing on truth, what is true and not what is untrue, and the lies that we tell, and the lies that we believe. You know, lies are the way, one of the ways anyway, that we manipulate others and how others manipulate us. And you know, we can also even manipulate ourselves by lies that we tell ourselves, and the opinion of which... We adopt into our very soul. And the realm of lies, untruths, those that we believe are fertile ground for hurts and addictions. Jesus calls us to learn from Him, to take up His yoke, because we desperately need the kind of truth, the true, true, if you will that He wants to build within our lives and within our hearts. So here's a question for us all. What lies do we believe about God, ourselves, and others that lead to hurt and addictions? Well, there's a million of them, right? They're all over the place. We believe things like, you know, if I just had a little bit more money, then I would be happy. Or we believe things like, you know, the things I've done in my life, God will never forgive. There's no way that He can forgive me. Or things like, you know, it's okay as long as I don't hurt anyone. Or things like, you know, if I can just control everything around me, then everything would be fine. There would be no hurts and no one would, you know, threaten me. Those are all lies. And when people believe that a lie is the truth, they automatically fall into deception and deception is dangerous and it blinds us to truth and encourages us and encourages us to choose things which ultimately prove to be harmful to us to those that are around us and to our relationship with the living God. Untruth is destructive in every form in our lives. Now here's the good news, that as followers of the living God, the one who is true, we can not only step into health and wholeness ourselves, but we can become the kind of people that will help others also find that same freedom from hurts and addictions in their own life. We can become a community where real health and life can be found. Jesus says this also in the same chapter of John chapter 8. He says to the Jews who had believed him, he said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free it'll set us free paul says in colossians therefore as you received christ jesus the lord so walk in him walk in his life walk in his truth the kinds of things that god wants to pour into our life to change us and to transform us and to bring us to that place of blessing and wholeness And health. Do you have a longing to be whole? Do you have a longing to experience all the wonder of the blessing and health and joy and peace and love and grace that God wants to pour into our lives? It starts by drawing close to Jesus, right? To step into health, we need to step into that close relationship with Jesus. But we also need to be a people who will learn from Him, who will be yoked with Him and receive from Him the truth, the real truth, that He wants to speak into our lives. And that kind of kingdom life really is possible. It really is. And we can find healing and freedom and health and be the kind of people that will help others find the same. So here's the question for us again. What lies does Jesus this morning want you to just throw down and release? Perhaps it's the lie that my situation is hopeless. There is just no way out for me. That's a lie of the evil one. For Jesus is life and hope itself Maybe you think my situation will never get better. That's not true. That's not true. In Jesus Christ, that is not true. There are all kinds of lies that we believe about God, that we believe about ourselves. You know, God will never love me. God can't love me as I am. That's not true. That's not true. God wants to take God wants us to take all those untruths and let them go in his name. There are some things that Jesus wants us to grab a hold of too. So another question for us is, what truths then do you think Jesus wants you to pick up and own and to begin to carry? Oh, there are truckloads of beautiful truths that the Lord wants to speak into our life, if we will let him. Jesus says to us, right, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you long for rest for your souls? You find it in Jesus. You think our community, Newton, longs to find rest for its weary soul? It does. And we can become that body that will take that life-giving reality, that health and wholeness, as we are yoked with Jesus together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, How grateful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ who said to us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Father, that through him we can find access to you. Father, you are light and you are love. In you there is no darkness at all. Father, in you there is no untruth. It is all yes and amen in you. Lord, forgive us when we grab hold of untruth about you, about ourselves, about one another, about life itself. Lord Jesus, will you give us eyes to see that which is not true and let it go in your name. Jesus, we confess that we need your help. Will you help us learn how to learn from you so that we will become the kind of people who are true to our very core and who step into your kingdom life in all its fullness. For we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor John. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to invite those who are going to help serve communion this morning to please come up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes uh, that he received from Jesus What he was passing on to the Corinthians. And he writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. So Jesus is with the disciples, he's celebrating the Passover meal. Like how many Passover meals had he celebrated? 30 something, right? In his life. And here he was celebrating the Passover meal which commemorated the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt and the, the um, opposition to the death angel, right, that came through and killed all the firstborn, the lamb's blood that was put on the doorposts. And it's celebrated when death passed over that house. Now Jesus is celebrating this and he co-ops it he takes it and he applies it to himself. And he says this, when he given thanks, he broke this bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the ironic thing is that the lamb that was slain, the Passover lamb was actually pointing forward to Jesus. And it was, it was representing the Messiah who would come. And Jesus is looking back and celebrating this, and he is receiving that point forward, and he's embracing it, and he's telling his disciples, hey, I'm here. This cup is the, the new covenant in my blood. The true exodus, the true delivery out of Egypt, comes through jesus christ so if you've placed your faith in jesus christ you've come to god through his son jesus we invite you to come and to uh take some bread dip it in the juice and remember the body and blood of christ there there is some um oh i want to say unleavened again gluten-free back on the back table if you need that otherwise this is uh, right up here I'm going to invite you to come would you join with me in prayer please Father we, uh, we just take this moment and we remember the death and the suffering the body and the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ we thank you that in seeing him we see the Father and divine blood can't be divided three ways it's the blood of God that took our sins away We receive that again today. Afresh and anew, we place our faith in Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. As we take this bread and juice, we remember your suffering. We remember that it's for us. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward.